0: Welcome to the and Podcast, bringing you timely insights and strategies to succeed in the ever-evolving world of school system technology. On each episode, you'll hear from certified education technology leaders, visionary district changemakers, and instructional experts who will discuss the technology topics making a difference in schools today. And now, enjoy today's show. Welcome listeners to today's episode of the Cosin Podcast, the third in our three-part series presented by eGlass. Our guests today are longtime educator and ed tech leader, John Carippo, and e-learning pioneer, Dr. Sunny Magana. Thanks to you both for being here. Thanks for having us, Ross. So I want to get right into this conversation here because we have a lot of ground to cover and a lot of things that particularly at this time of year and really any time of year are, are really relevant to educators in all roles, including tech leaders, but you know, the two of you, You both come from teaching backgrounds. You also have significant experience in technology leadership. John, you've been an assistant superintendent, IT director. You spent several years in leadership with CUE. Uh, Sunny, you've been involved with online learning for over 25 years. You know, you founded and served as principal of a cyber school. You've done widely recognized research on instructional technology. So you have that great blend of all the different types of experience that the dynamics that are fitting together, right, within our schools and districts. So I I really wanted to talk about, you know, from your experience in those different roles and from your observations of working with schools uh, in a consultative role, you know, in recent years, what kind of collaboration do you like to have between teachers, school leaders, district tech leaders, like what's the dynamic that ultimately sets us up for success at the classroom level, which is what it all comes back to, right, but there's so many different people that can contribute to being able to realize that.
1: Well, I'll, I'll uh, jump in. This is Sunny. Uh, I think that um, there has to be a common vision. Uh, one of the things that that really can help foment collaboration, really support collaboration, is having a common vision of what we're trying to achieve here. And the only way we can have a common vision is if everybody comes to the table and decides that, you know, what what our goal is is not just merely access to technology, although that's really important. Having access. Uh, equitable and universal access is really important. Rather, I think we need to look beyond um, indicators for those um, uh, successes that really focus on impact. Um, So, Having conversation around vision and being able to measure what is done in order to determine reasonably, what is the impact of our investments in technology, our investments in infrastructure, our investments in personnel uh, on student learning productivity. And so that's, that's been like a hallmark of success in systems where I have worked. where we have a common vision, we have a common language to discuss the innovations that are possible technology and a reliable and rigorous way to measure the impact. You need those three things to really establish a meaningful, um, collaborative uh, approach to systemic ed reform right here, right now. John, what do you think?
2: coming from, you know, most of my years were in the classroom, but I've done, I've I've been on both sides of the fence, if, if that works as an analogy, and I want to uh, plus one what you said, Sonny, I think what I see in real life sometimes is that the, the technology group, they have their own set of initiatives, and there's not always empathy for what the classroom teacher needs, right, so, and, and it's not, um, the teacher's the same way. The teacher doesn't necessarily have empathy for what the technology teacher, I mean the technology department's needs are. For example, how many times have we seen teachers that start using an app that's not approved uh, on in terms of student safety, right? So there's this kind of duality to it. The, the most beloved technology directors that I know that are beloved by the teachers they work with um, are the ones who spend some time in the classrooms and really are good listeners to what the needs are. Because for my, in my opinion, in my estimation, um, if there's a tie, the tie has to go to learning with an eye on safety, right? So like, for example, last year I was in a school, uh, I was teaching, I went back to the classroom for one year to get my, you know, I wanted to get oriented towards what the state of the art is, and one day the the, uh, my, my building IT guy came by and said, how's the internet working? And I said, well, it kind of sucks like every day. And he goes, well, everybody's on the network today. You guys, this is a two-year-old school. Everybody being on the network should not <laughs> wreck the network. So that's my perspective. And I, I agree with Sonny. You know, both sides have needs. Both sides need to have empathy for each other. But the bottom line is, how is this facilitating learning?
1: Yeah. And that's, that's the common thread. It really has to be about facilitating learning and, and being able to have some sort of reasonable measure on return on investment. And that's been absent thus far in the narrative nationally, A uh, mean reasonable and, uh, uh, reliable way to measure ROI. Right. And it's something that's been
0: interesting. And I, and from each of your individual perspectives, I'm sure there's parts of it because of the work you've been doing over several, many, many years, that's frustrating. And other parts that is exciting and encouraging is how many of these ideas have reached a level of acceleration over the course of the pandemic in the way that more people within school districts have gained a brand new perspective on whether it's, the ways in which technology infrastructure should be built and used, the appropriate ways to set up for personalized learning or more flexible student learning or things like just how everybody has had new opportunities to, to develop some of that empathy that you're talking about. You know, We've, we've had conversations on this podcast with CTOs at the district level. have been thinking a lot about social emotional learning over the past year which is not typically something that would be within their purview necessarily but now they have a different way that they need to be involved in helping to support students and they're seeing, okay this actually is something that i can make a difference in right because i can see what the teachers need i can see what the students need and now we can collaborate for that so a lot of that of course is coming about because of environmental factors that none of us wish to happen and yet there are some areas there where it can help us to move forward in some of these things. And a big part of the context for this conversation is that our education system in the U.S. hasn't really changed much in the last century, right? I mean, of course, in various districts and schools, there's a lot of innovative practices, a lot of, you know, wonderful educators, great leaders, but on a system level, foundationally, what schools look like, what the model of K-12 is, is very similar to the way it was in you know the early 20th century with this collaborative approach and how does this relate to the way we work together i mean for example how do we strengthen those collaborations between those different roles so that innovative ideas that are happening in these different pockets are getting implemented at scale so that we're tapping into okay this teacher is doing something really interesting and you know we want to take that to the rest of our district this person in our technology department, this curriculum leader has these excellent ideas and this great stuff is happening, but we, if it's happening in isolation, we want to really get that out to the the rest of the district. So John, from your point of view, because you had opportunities, of course, to move through some different roles and I'm, I'm sure that all of a sudden, you know, your perspective shifted. I mean, we'll start with you. What do you kind of think about how we can make more progress toward that kind of change?
2: Well, and what you've described, Ross, and I think Sonny will back me up on this. This is every school district in America uh, and then every school in America. I visit a lot of schools. Sonny visits a lot of schools. Every single school thinks that they've got a unique situation. They believe that their situation is <laughs> unique. And I'm like, uh, I can already tell you the top three things we want to work on. And they look at me like, how are you so Spengali? And you know, and I go, because the basic system is the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. The basic problem is the same everywhere. So One of the positive things about the COVID scenario that I would say is we learned that IT administration and classroom people could work very quickly to set up Zoom accounts. Turn that around in two weeks. How many districts went one-to-one for the first time ever in two weeks, right? So I think there's a pretty cool model for the idea that we can be agile. So that's my first half of the question. The second half of my answer uh, to the question is going to be that if you've got a teacher that's doing something right, nothing, nothing will grow that faster than having people come and watch them do it in context. So getting principals to come and see what it looks like, right? And a lot of times people will, they think of that as an extra or an add-on, so they don't get the sub days or they can't make the meeting because they're doing administrative stuff. Going and seeing what it looks like, and I'll I'll just end with this analogy so Sonny gets time too. You could tell me what a Formula One race sounds like, but once you go, you're like, dude, that's crazy. It's way better than YouTube. And so having those teachers, um, having people come and visit and see what the flow and the use of that is, and then having those same teachers go out and demonstrate that to other people's uh, classrooms. Nothing makes change faster than that. Nothing,
0: right? Yeah, Sunny, because I mean, there really are some of these must-haves, right? At, at a at a school level, you know, even also the district level, but even at a school level, to say, okay, before we are going to be able to scale up this amazing thing this teacher is doing, we need a certain infrastructure here at the school to be able to work up to that. What What does that look like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I did. Get to your initial point of the question. Uh, the pandemic has accelerated uh, a movement towards education reform like we've never seen before, with a, with uh, speed and depth that um, is really quite unprecedented. I, I mean, I've I've been in education for forty years, and I've never seen such a rapid uptake on uh, technological tools and digitizing. The delivery of instruction, quite literally, overnight. Um, the trouble, though, is that without a, uh, any kind of plan for, you know, uh, guiding the use of these tools equitably and universally, then we we have we get patchwork quilts. And I think you described that there's there are pockets of innovation all over this great country. Pockets of innovation where individual teachers are doing amazing things that really transcend, go really above and beyond the. Uh, normal range of uh, learning outcomes uh, because you have passionate teachers uh, taking risks and trying new things the difference between that patchwork quilt idea and an even field where there's a systemic groove and everybody is working towards a common uh, goal of innovative teaching and learning with technology that requires a common vision a common language common tools and a, a common way to measure uh, the impact. I know I've said that before, but that I can't mm-hmm. uh, uh, state, I don't think I can overstate how important it is to have a common way to discuss these things. And to John's point, with that commonality, then you have common experience. You can only have a common experience if you have a common way to talk about the things that you're experiencing and a common way to measure those experiential uh, learning moments where innovation happens. Uh, so uh, we 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 need to think about a kind of a, a, a blueprint for uh, technology leaders uh, that provides highly reliable leading indicators. So to answer the second party question, how do you how do you know you're there? Like, how, what what can what can be done to kind of facilitate the the work that was really kind of started because of the pandemic? I think you need to have a, 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 a really deep look into leading indicators of success not lagging indicators of success yeah and that's going to that's a that's really going to be a big shift uh the lagging indicators are usually like uh, we look at the end of the year uh, attendance enrollment behavioral issues and scores on a single dependent measure like common core or some other state standards those are looking at those indicators uh after the fact is a bit like doing an autopsy, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> there's nothing you can do to revive the patient or to change your protocols midstream. That's why shifting to leading indicators that are highly reliable and lead to more um, understandable and desired outcomes is a shift that's, I think, required of tech leaders, building leaders, and instructional leaders to know what the look fors are.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, Sonny, and if um, I could. If I could share a couple of quick exemplars of that. Um, I've done professional development with all the big names, both as a recipient and as a a leader of those. And what I see over and over again are two failure items. Number one failure item is the tech director makes a unilateral decision to buy a thing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not saying the tech director shouldn't have that leadership ability. What I am saying is when you've got 200 teachers or 400 teachers and their workflow just got interrupted because of something somebody might seen at a conference or because their friend said it's cool Um, that's that's just not a really good good basic leadership model it feels good to say we're going to be consistent and we're going to do this but you got to understand that the client may need to move to that new platform but if you do it without informing them it's a problem uh, and I've seen this over and over again with SISs and with uh, interactive whiteboard software and with your email platform, right? Um, the second thing that I see a lot from the CTO side is, hey, guys, we've got this PD person coming for your new gear, and it's going to be great. And the CTO sent, tends to be really excited because they just wrote a check for four or $5,000 for this person to show you the new gear. And then what happens is, technically speaking, that person's a vendor, not a teacher. So all they want to show you is features. And then what happens in real life is, within an hour or two into that four or five hour session, everybody's checking their email. And so for the tech director, now you have a political loss because all the teachers are, they're doing a checklist in their head. I could have been working with the kids today. I could have been grading today. I could have been relaxing today but instead I'm having to look happy in an event where they're showing me a lot of buttons on a tool that I may never actually use. So that I think those kind of bring to life what Sonny's talking about in terms of what's that look like in real life? You've got to work with the people and and again having been a CTO, it's scary to be the person that decides what goes on the filter, right? That's hard. It's 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 scary to tell people okay this email platform is not going to work for us anymore budgetarily or safety wise but doing that in a vacuum makes you the bad guy whereas if you educate people and bring them all along with you and help them understand that flips the, the equation right and
0: then the other part of it that of course is often going to come into play is you know even in certain cases where there is a Well thought out and well communicated plan for a new initiative or a new implementation, it still is going to be followed by a a lot of extra work to get it going, right? And one of the things that, you know, Sunny, you've referenced this and it kind of relates to some of the ideas that we surfaced before we started the the show here is the ROI idea. And the fact is, like the ROI on your initiatives is impacted both by the inputs and the outcomes, right? So you can have two equal things that each achieve very similar results. And yet what you had to do to get those results is really impacting like which one was most worthwhile or which one was worth doing. And it is, you know, it's early in the school year still, but after the past couple of years we've had, it's definitely not too early to talk about burnout. (laughs) So between the stress and fatigue of burnout and initiative fatigue, of doing so many new things, um, you know, really thinking of high impact ideas that can improve student results while also reducing teacher workload are quite appealing. And so, you know, we've we've really talked about a lot of the different points, you know, of that conversation and, and what that needs to look like. But, you know, can you kind of talk through a little bit more? Like, what are some of like, when you have those as specific goals, we need to do both of these together, because this is how we make sure that not only it's impactful, but also sustainable, right? And that we maintain that buy-in. What are some of the ways to work toward that in ensuring that we don't lose sight of either either one of those things?
1: Yeah, th- thanks very much. Uh, I uh, was fortunate that I started uh, the first cyber school model uh, in the country in 1995 with some other uh, progressive educators. And we were fortunate because we had an opportunity to try something new to take a risk and established a school that I call the distributed learning model. The kids met with me face-to-face part of the time. Um, Part of the time they were online and in 1995, the opportunities for online were relatively small compared to now. Uh, But still, the the learning was distributed in various locations. A a lot of these uh, uh, students were seniors and juniors in high school, so they got jobs, they got job study, they got elective credits um, and, and requirements satisfied. Uh, then we studied that model. We studied it for three years. It was a longitudinal study, and it's the first of its kind, really. And we found indicators. There were patterns that were surfaced from talking with students, looking at the at the uh, leading indicators that we were uh, gathering. And you talk about like doing things simultaneously. That's exactly what I think needs to happen right now. Is the model that we put together in cyber school? It's still running, by the way. The the school is still functioning, serving the needs of kids, and was really. Not terribly disrupted by the global pandemic, as you can imagine, because the system and the culture was already focused on uh, distributing learning 24-7, 365, not just September to June and Monday through uh, Friday, 8 to 3. So there were five indicators that we found out, but I'm calling them the critical commitments. Three of them can be done simultaneously. So to your point, what, what should listeners be thinking about right now to do simultaneously to, to reduce teacher workload, improve instructional quality, and accelerate student learning? So the first thing is, and I call this the first critical commitment, is to ensure equitable and universal access to production devices. That's that's not consumption devices, but devices where students can produce representations of their learning, um, broadband access and cybersecurity for all students and faculty. That should be a baseline of education in these United States. It should be part of the base. The the basic definition of education has to include production devices for uh, staff and students. But at the same time, we have to provide ample experiential professional development for teachers so they experience learning in a digitized or cyber environment themselves in order to become effective cyber teachers.
0: Closing the gap is the most pressing issue in education today. Teachers need to observe their students while they teach to see where engagement drops and confusion sets in. They also need to create small group lessons that directly address knowledge gaps. eGlass is helping teachers close the knowledge gap. It's an illuminated glass writing board with a built-in camera. E-GLASS enables teachers to write on a board without ever turning their backs to students. It also enables them to record lessons as they teach, giving students learning resources that feel personal and one-to-one.
1: Learn more about eGlass at eGlass.io. And what we saw in March, uh, I'm gonna bring a Jersey Shore rope. to be uh, There you go. <laughs> uh, but in March, teachers without ample experience as digital learners themselves had to become digital instructors. And it was a lot like asking teachers who don't know how to swim to become lifeguards so we need to pro- provide ample opportunities for teachers to experience cyber learning or e-learning on uh, content and and methods so that they can turn around and emulate that for students so, so again uh, equitable access to devices um, uh, effective and ample professional learning experiences for teachers so they experience cyber learning in order to become highly effective cyber or e-learning teachers uh, those three things can be done simultaneously and they've been done right now that will uh, do a, a great deal to sort of equalize the playing field and reduce the pockets of innovation and spread those innovations across an entire system but we need data we need data to determine how well we're we doing and what are those leading indicators to um,
2: move us forward and my take on that, Russ, is really simple. Um, you mentioned burnout. I think one of the things that we never mention when we're talking about teacher burnout, we talk about low pay. We talk about long hours. We talk about spending too much at Target. We talk about, you know, faulty curriculum. We talk about grading, talk about all things. You know the thing we never talk about? We're getting burnout because we're not getting better.
1: Yeah, right, right.
2: right. You show me anybody in the country that has <laughs> dynamic growth, grade level over grade level, and I will reject my statement. Mm-hmm. Most of us have kids that come in at a certain level, two or three pop up, but that could be environmental, and not necessarily curricular or pedagogical, right? So I think one of the things we never identify when we're talking about burnout is I'm working my butt off, which I signed up for. I signed up to work my butt off every year I get the same results. And nobody really wants to talk about that because it's almost like touching that third rail. Like, well, I don't want to talk about not getting results. And lots of individual teachers will get results. I'm not doubting that. And I know there are some school districts that are better than others, and I'm not doubting that. But generally speaking, poor poor kids do this and rich kids do that. So teaching is not really getting the results we want. And that's the generation of where Sonny and I really come together is. Why are you working so hard for no results? We need data that shows these practices work. And the analogy I like to use is like, if you've ever looked at food on Instagram, uh, one guy makes a hamburger that's a foot across. A couple of weeks later, another guy makes a hamburger that's three feet across. And a couple other weeks later, another guy's making a hamburger that's seven feet across. Look at the iterations with pizza, with uh, iterations with juicing and smoothies. We don't have an equivalent of that in education. What we're doing is looking for a worksheet or a boxed curriculum that will make things better. And there isn't one. And I'll just wrap up this little uh, anecdote with this commentary that I share with teachers a lot. I just hired Sonny to be my football coach. Sonny, here's your big brand boxed curriculum for football. I need you ready for the state playoffs by December.
1: Where's my scope son? and sequence.
2: The, yeah. Do you don't oh, hire football oh, coaches nice. like that and i can extend that logic to your ffa teacher i can extend that logic to your art teacher i can extend that logic to your cheerleading coach your asb person your uh, yearbook teacher but as soon as i hit the core subjects here comes the bucks. soon as i hit the core subjects the art starts to go away and the self-sufficiency starts to go away and the innovation starts to go away. And now we're just like, hey, the box sucks and uh, I can't help it because that's what the district's making me do. So it's a really tricky balance there.
0: Right, And, and one of the things you're both really talking about as well is just the concept of information, right? Having the right information at the right time to make, you know, to take actions that will make a difference. And a lot of ways technology is a really useful tool to helping us do that, but it's not going to do that unless we know what our goal is and what we're trying to achieve. So, you know, John, to your analogy of hiring a new football coach. If I hire Sonny to be my football coach in June and the season starts in September and but I don't tell him how the team did last year, what players were on the team last year, what these right. players know about right. football or who plays what position or I'm you lose know, a
2: week, figure it out. He'll
0: eventually figure it out, but he might not figure it out till halfway through the year and we've already lost, you know, half our games. And by the end of the year, we're playing great, but like in aggregate, we didn't really get where we wanted to go, right? The same thing happens across the k-12 to grade span right in a district where even if the first grade and second grade and every teacher is really good but they have no idea what the other teacher was doing and they have no way of knowing when the students enter the classroom right how prepared are they you're going to err on the we, side right of we have
2: to, uh, I, every teacher i know especially at the high school level they'll burn a good month of the, of the year right on quote review And one of the big flips I had was I realized that every year, the product that I was getting from the previous class would have a significant amount of errors and issues. So what I did, instead of treating the kids like they needed to be reviewed, I just switched it to boot camp. We don't have football review. You don't go, hey, guys, let's review last year's offense for the first month. They just take you wherever you are. They assume that... In fact, I love the analogy the Navy SEALs do. You've got to be like in the top 5% of applicants just to get considered to get into the Navy, into the Navy SEALs. And um, their mantra is, we're going to teach you to walk correctly. And then we're going to teach you to run correctly. And then we're going to run a faster every day. So my boot up process only takes two or three weeks. I'm picking up two to five weeks. And the kids feel like there's momentum right out of the gate with protocols and a smart start logic. Which is, let's boot camp this thing instead of, okay, guys, oh, I know your last year's teacher didn't do a good job. You know, I'm going to have to remind you of things that you already know. And here's what this looks like when you add data, Sonny. I went to a school, I will not say where, in December, I visited a third grade teacher and I said, hey, what do you want to work on? And she said, let's do some multiplication. I think they're just about ready. And then we did an edge protocol called the Fast and Curious. On the first round, her third graders were 94% on multiplication. And you know what I realized, Ross? She had just drug a bunch of kids who knew multiplication through a September, October, November sequence of addition and subtraction. Right. And that's where mm-hmm. you lose those mountains of time because you're not looking at data. You could have given them a quick quizzes, GimKit, or um, it," and said, I wonder how you guys are at multiplication. Let's see. You could have done that second day. And if if they do well, you go. And if they don't do well, you start planning for what that looks like, right? But we don't use data correctly. She was following the book. She followed the the magic box, and it wasn't working.
0: Yeah, and that's where you know that's why we are looking and need to look at these things at an institutional and a system level to say, all right, everybody needs to have access to the information. Everybody needs because on one end or the other we're losing progress we're either remediating right. when the kids don't need remediation or you know, we are leaving a gap in their understanding at one point or another and you can't be efficient across land. And so that's the where ideas of concepts where technology oh, gives us insights putting, especially personalized insights can make such a difference and, But but it's, it's a curriculum and instruction objective and, and and that's why it's so important that all these pieces are fitting
2: together Well, putting my CTO hat on, it was interesting, the school I worked at last year, I had helped originally design it five years or six years earlier, and I left the district and worked at Q and things and other things. So I come back to the district, and I'm stunned to see that they have removed the 70-inch TVs. They put LCD TVs TVs originally. They had removed the TVs and put in an interactive touch projector, and it turns out that the interactive touch projector is, A, really slow, so I'm never going to use it because it's a three-second lag when I write, and then it would lock up all the time. So I'm thinking, who decided that? And the chief technology officer was super excited. He had come in and taken out all the TVs and put in these super cool touchscreen interactives, and they didn't work. Another example is um, you'll see uh, districts where they go Chromebooks, right? Or they, or they go iPads, and they, and they roll it out, and the, the CTO is constantly insisting that we do wireless video, and that sounds great. You don't need cables. You don't need a, a wall controller, but when the video looks like it's from 1912 and it's jumpy and skippy, now you have no reason to show videos. So there's this always kind of duality between what the CTO thinks could work versus what the teacher needs, and, and both groups have to be able to interface with that. Right,
0: Sonny, you uh, you referenced your T uh, three framework for innovation a little earlier, and I did want to make sure we circled back on that here while we have an opportunity, uh, because the framework can really provide a model for how schools can improve instructional practices through using technology tools in the right ways. Can you just you know really briefly talk us through what the framework is and what it's kind of meant to help schools aspire to, but even more importantly, can you speak to the role that Tech directors, instructional technology coordinators—you know—that team can play in supporting teachers by finding and, and implementing tools that will allow them to reach that transcendent level. Definitely, using tools in the right ways is number one. But you know, you do also have to have tools that will allow you to do that. So that you know, that dynamic is really important.
1: It is really important. Thanks very much. Yeah, the T three framework is something that I synthesized from forty years of research on. Uh, technology, pedagogy, and the impact on learning. So at a COSIN conference some some years ago, I said, you know, I'm only interested in three things, impact, impact, and impact, impact on learning. So I I put together this framework uh, to synthesize these methods that work. And T3 really stands for three different domains of learning, translational, transformational, and transcendent. Those are the three phases of learning in the T3 framework, translational, transformational, and transcendent. So let me briefly explain. Translational learning is surface learning, where students are translating some new information into their cognitive schema. And you can use technology tools to automate uh, teaching and learning tasks that facilitate students acquiring surface level knowledge. Uh, Or students can consume content. Uh, in a digital format instead of a book or some other analog uh, delivery system. That's translational learning. It's important, but on its own, it does not have a, a big impact on learning. In fact, John Hattie did a meta-analysis showing that the, the overall impact of, of translational learning that just automating teaching tasks and learning tasks and providing digital consumption is in effect size of 0.34, which is really low and it's been very low for too long. I think we need to get to another level, which I call transformational, and that's where students are producing. They're actively engaged in producing representations of learning. They're expressing themselves, and they're actively involved in teaching other students. That's the um, uh, transformational domain, and then we need to get through that because that's uh, that phase has an, an acceleration in student learning to get to the transcendent phase, so the, the third domain. And that's where students are applying their knowledge. They're taking what they learn and applying it to solve wicked problems that matter to them. And then and T3 provides you know, a really reliable guide for a new methodology. You know, it's a next generation pedagogy that takes advantage of the opportunities afforded by technologies like John was describing and other technologies. Uh, to drive student learning forward, not just using technology as an end to itself, but as a means to accelerate student learning.
0: I think one of the pieces that is very relevant to so much of this discussion and just so much of what um, decision makers are grappling with in schools is the concept of you know, research, research-based practices, research-based tools, and how we can make the right decisions right like use the information that's available to make the right there's a lot of research out there there's a lot but um you know so i really would be interested in hearing from both of you if you had maybe let's say two takeaways around how can we home in on basically just what research is worthwhile and what is not worth our time right there, there's so many different types of research and so many there's a lot out there so it's not so much right now about telling people look at this research or that research but how do i even evaluate i'm being flooded with this information i know this is useful right i know it can be useful but also we can go chasing a lot of ideas that don't really turn out to be that beneficial because whatever was presented wasn't exactly uh compelling data so how do we be efficient in that way the same way that we want to be Conscientious and mindful of teachers' time. Same for leaders. I have to make many, many decisions today. I need to. I need to make the right ones, but I need to make them efficiently so I get on the next thing. So, so I'd love to wrap with you know from each of you your couple of takeaways for how to evaluate research, how to figure out okay this is worth our time. We're going to learn a lot about this. This is not something we want to spend a lot of time
1: on. Well, I can jump in quickly, uh, and I think that you know there's research, then there's research. <laughs> so uh, we can break down uh research into, into kind of five tiers of uh reliability and so i hope folks uh pay attention to these five levels the first research is personal anecdotal evidence that's research i mean we 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 look for relationships between variables like technology and learning but when you have a, a an individual perception you have a sample size of one and so that's not very reliable the second level is where you have um more than one people, uh, more than one person has the same experience, and so now that's a shared opinion. That's still maybe you've got a sample size of two, maybe a little bit more. It's still not a reliable way to make a decision. The third level is with scientific research, with an actual scientific process to reduce errors, reduce bias, and try to surface the true nature of the relationship between technology and learning. That's that's the third level, scientific observation. But it happens all the time that one study that's well done completely contradicts another study. So we can't just rely on any single study. We need to go to another level. The fourth level is compounding evidence. And that's where you have not one study, but dozens of studies, hundreds of studies that purport the same relationship between learning and technology. But there's a fifth level, and that's that's the highest level of research that exists. It's the preponderance of evidence. That's when folks don't look at uh, hundreds of studies, but thousands of studies, tens of thousands of studies. And John Hattie is really, Professor John Hattie from the University of uh, Melbourne has uh, uh, taken that level um, to uh, new heights and made his work on meta-analysis available uh, and understandable. Uh, so, So I would say, look at the level of research. So just think about the, the reliability scale, one, two, three, four, five, to quantify the type of research that you're using to make decisions that will impact the lives of learners. Yeah. John, what's your view on it?
2: Sonny's right. Can we wrap it up? <laughs> no, I will tell you um, Sonny's research is super effective because what he's done is he's he's done it in the context of a classroom. So uh Marzano stuff is really, really good. Hattie stuff is really, really good. Fullen stuff is really, really good. But Sunny starts providing a bridge to what is the practice. And that's my part is um I looked at Marzano's research. I was in a five day clinic in 2006 And I walked out and I was like, Oh my God, I do none of those things. I do none of the thing that they're talking about. And like here's a quick uh, litmus test. Give me one cool lesson you do with non non um non-linguistic representation quick give me one off the top of your head and i couldn't do it uh tell me how often your kids are actually deciding on similarities and differences that's a 45 percent effect size by marzano's numbers right that's huge and um i don't think having 10 year old ross read a story and saying reflect is gonna represent uh similarities and differences so what I've done with the edge of protocol side is think of what I, what we build on protocols is the living manifestation of what these practices look like. And um, Sonny's now using edge of protocols in his admin professional development. And people are raving because they're truly working on the material. So Sonny doesn't do popsicle sticks. Sonny doesn't say turn and talk. Sonny gives them real activities that they can actually use that pedagogical practice with their staff when they go back. And at the last face-to-face event I was at, one of the um, admins came up and said, oh, my God, Sonny did all these protocols. They were so good. And I just took (laughs) them right back and did it with my staff. And I was like, ah. So that's the yin and yang of what Sonny and I do, right? He understands what the need is in the classroom. And he developed research that shows how to increase the outcome. I'm on the receiving end. I'm like, well, I'm seeing all this research, but if I'm a principal and I can't explain to teachers how to get there, it's just theory at that point, right? It's like saying, hey, we should go to the, a black hole someday. Well, I don't have a spaceship. I don't have a budget. That sounds great. Oh, scores should go up. Yeah, but I don't have a plan. I'm just going to keep getting through the book. So that, that's kind of the harmony and rhythm of what yeah. Sonny and I do.
1: And it's a great harmony is exactly the word I would describe because research only gives us guidance. I mean, it's important that we have the most reliable highest quality guidance, but it just provide got provides guidance. It's making research actionable, no research without action and no action without research.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you, John and Sonny, for being with us here on the Coast and Podcast. Listeners, make sure you're subscribed on your preferred platform Apple, Spotify, Google, and many more. And if you are one of our Apple listeners, we always appreciate a five star review to help other tech leaders find out about the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coast and Podcast, produced in partnership with Mind Rocket Media Group. Visit mindrocketmediagroup.com to connect with our expert team and learn how we can support your education industry, communications, and marketing goals. And to make sure you never miss an episode of the podcast, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. You can also listen to each new episode on
1: edcircuit.com or Cosin.org.